Do you have like a favorite live show or event that you've ever attended? Ooh, I mean, every time I see Greta Van Fleet is pretty fun. Yeah, you're a big fleet head. Greta head, yes. Greta and head, actually, I called? just saw they're doing they're doing another tour, so I gotta get tickets. Yeah, maybe if they listen to this podcast, they'll just send us free tickets. Yeah, we got it. How do we make that happen? Hey, listen, all you, all you, Greta, uh, all you Fleet uh, Wood Max. Uh, yeah, all you Fleet Wood Max. <laughs> uh, send this, send this to the boys uh, with my to regards. The boys. Uh, hugs and kisses. Hugs what and about kisses. you, Kyle? <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even think of this. I mean, I've been to so many theatrical shows that I'm sure it's one of the, them that was. Uh, sure. Was a grand old time. But none are jumping to my mind for now. So instead, it's because we are right now in the best show, although it's not live. It is live. Today is a live taping <laughs> of Butter No Parsnips. You're listening to it recorded, but we are taping live from right. uh, an undisclosed state in the United States. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey! Listen, you guys, welcome to Butter No Parsnips. I'm Emily Moyers. And I'm Kyle Imperator. And Kyle, I understand that you not only have a question for me, you have a word? <gasps> I've got a word, and uh, it's in the form of an answer, and you're going to have to answer in the form of a question. <laughs> I'm very confused, but go right ahead. Okay. Your word today, Emily, is lyceum. <gasps> L-Y-C-E-U-M. Lyceum. Okay, okay, okay. I might know this word. Ooh, love it. I've heard it used in a D&D context. Because oh. like people in D&D are always looking for fancy words for things to name their places. Absolutely, so, yeah. So I might know, but I'm going to ask some questions first. Uh, sure, yeah. Language of origin, ugh, gotta be Greek or Latin. I'm going to say Greek. Yeah, ancient Greek, Emily. Yeah. You got it. There's something in Critical Role called the Alabaster Lyceum, and I want to say okay. it's like some kind of a library, but okay. I don't know if, okay. if I'm remembering it right. What's uh, Do you have like a hint? The hint is assembly. Assembly. Yeah. It is a noun. It is a noun. Yes. This has gotten so serious for me, guys. The, the No jokes <laughs> right now. I really want to get this right. <laughs> is it just like... Oh no, you wouldn't put the the a word from the definition in the hint. Is it just like a place where scholars meet? No, what were you going to say? Uh, like an assembly of scholars, like a like a group of scholars. Gotcha. You're dancing around it on both yeah. things. Yeah. It has a couple meanings. Um I've got two that we're going to talk about today and you're very 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 close. Is it a school? I mean, that is one of the meetings that we're not going to talk about today, but that is close enough, Emily. I'm going to give you it. Nice. Yeah, because that makes sense. Because also the Italian word for high school is liceo. L-I-C. Yes, it is. You know. Yes, yes, yes. So that, so that adds up. 
Yeah. So one of the things we won't talk about today is that in Europe, a lot of secondary schools are called lyceums in a uh, in a bunch of different countries. But that all has to do with what we are going to be talking about today, which are the two most prominent definitions of lyceum are yeah. a public hall designed for lectures, readings, or concerts. Mm-hmm. Or an association which might provide lectures, readings, or concerts. Okay, so it's yeah, I was I was right there. Yeah, I mean, you basically gave the definition like within the definition is the place sure. where scholars meet. So yes, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fun, <laughs> Emily. Lyceum ultimately comes from the ancient Greek word lukeos, uh, in English lyceus. Uh, which is an epithet of the Greek god Apollo, meaning wolf-like, oh. from the Greek word leukos. Like, l- like lycanthrope. Like lycanthrope, yes. Apollo Lysias had a broadly intimate connection with wolves, hence the epithet. But he also has the epithet Lysegenes, meaning wolf-born. Because oh. he is said to be born from his mother, Leto, while she was in the guise of a she-wolf. Oh, so like, was she a werewolf? And she was like in her in her hybrid form? And it's very vague. I think it was like, maybe, maybe, perhaps. <laughs> hey, you know, Greek mythology is a sketchbook. Who even knows? <laughs> yeah, it's really a sketchbook. It's a Scatter plot really is what it is. It's a, a, a scribbledy hobble. A scribbledy hobble, exactly. Yep. And I'm just a one little hobbledy hoy. <gasps> really good. <laughs> yeah. So Leto, uh, Leto, while while she was in the guise of a she wolf, birthed Apollo Lysias, and I wrote, all of a sudden, Jared Leto makes sense to me now. <laughs> <laughs> you I get it. He he looked at that story and said, I'm gonna I'm gonna move forward with my life yeah. with this yeah. in mind. <laughs> I now have a backstory for myself. (laughs) So, Emily, at some point, a temple was constructed in Athens to worship the Lycian Apollo. This sanctuary called the Lucaeon, or Lyceum in English, eventually became a public exercise area, making the grounds a popular community center. Right. And people met up to talk stuff. To talk stuff, to Emily. Talk You're... Stuff. I was going to say talk shop. Uh, well, yeah, shop could have been one of the things they talked about if they were mercantiles, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so in order to fulfill the wide-ranging needs of its community, a few amenities were built on the grounds of the Lyceum. Right. So it was it was a gym. It was a talking place. Yeah. So there were dromoi and peripatoi were built. Uh, do you know what either of those are? I mean, parapetoi's got to be parapets, right? No, it's P-E-R-I-P-A-T-O-I. Peripetoi. Oh, so half something. Yeah, or you got it. on the it. edge of something, yeah. Yeah, Dromoy and Peripetoi are open or covered walkways that were built for getting around the campus. Oh. Think of in Hercules when he destroys that <laughs> whole town. Yeah. Those little walkways with the colonnades were Peripatoi. We're Peripatoi, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Dromoi comes from Dromos, meaning running a racetrack, and Peripatoi comes from Peripateo, which means I walk around. And then, obviously, a gymnasium was built on the grounds. Yeah. 
have they had a like a treadmill and <laughs> yeah what else was in the gymnasium emily <laughs> yeah yeah it had like mostly guys taking pictures of themselves yeah. in the mirror <laughs> yeah um like protein like, powder smoothies yeah yeah <laughs> trainers being like overly aggressive with people yeah. who did not want this when they came in <laughs> yeah you got it yeah it was basically the film hercules you know from minute 35 through 48 i'm assuming uh, everybody go fact check kyle <laughs> <laughs> if he's wrong leave angry comments so the gymnasium <laughs> had an apoditerium which is Ooh. a sort of entrance slash changing room okay and it also had a palestra which is a public area for a wrestling school oh which I assume the Greeks would have done in flagrante. Emily, you are correct that they would have done it in yes. flagrante, which <laughs> brings me to my next thing. Emily, do you know where we get the word gymnasium from? Do you know the etymology of gymnasium? Oh, I don't. Does it have something to do with being in flagrante? <laughs> it does. Oh, no. Horrifying. Gymnasium comes from the Greek word yumnos, which means naked, because oh Greek God. athletes trained naked. Yes. I believe the first Olympics, like the Greek Olympics, just everyone was naked. Yeah. And I think the... Not the most recent one, but two before that, they did the same thing. The one in, like, Rio? <laughs> they were all... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was hot there, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, you're working up a sweat. I'm waiting for the winter one where they do it all. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That would be impressive. <laughs> that one's going to be scary. <laughs> yeah. So, Emily, the palestra part of the Lyceum Gymnasium became especially known as a home for philosophical debate and educational pursuits, and it hosted philosophers like Protagoras, Prodicus and even Socrates. Oh. I don't know who those two first guys are, but so we're not going to talk about any of these no, guys. No, but... I knew who all of those were, for oh, sure. Oh, good. Yeah, I knew you did, Emily. You're so smart. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you because that's just uh, secrets for yeah, my brain, but I knew that's it all. Good. But the big thing we're going to talk about is in 335 BC, after over a decade of absence, the philosopher Aristotle made his grand return <gasps> to his old stomping grounds in Athens. And he rolled in like, <laughs> like Thomas Jefferson in Act Two of Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, he had a whole he had a whole song to sing and everything. <laughs> yeah. He slid in. To the moonwalk. Yeah. It, it just, it was undercut by the fact that he was naked, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People shielding their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Why His whole column is out. <laughs> oh, Kyle, no. <laughs> and I think it's ionic. <laughs> so he began lecturing at the Lyceum, and he gathered a following, which he formed into a school called, wait for it, oh. the Lyceum. <laughs> He was known for his tendency to walk along the colonnaded Peripatoi as he taught, and that eventually earned his school the nickname Peripatos, uh, yeah. which is why we now refer to his school of philosophy as the Peripatetic School of Philosophy. I guess that's why there's all those paintings of him like walking, surrounded by people. And he's just like chatting it up. Oh, yeah, that's exactly why. His school was one of the four main schools of philosophy at the time. We've talked about the Stoics before. Yeah. Plato had his own academy, which Aristotle like 
learned at before he started his own school. And there was a fourth one. I can't remember that guy. But we ain't going to be talking about those. We're going to be talking about some of Aristotle's teachings. Nice. Aristotelian. Aristotelian thought. You got it, Em. Can you tell me any of Aristotle's teachings? Oh, yeah. I could tell you loads. Aristotle taught everybody... um, Gulp. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to talk about that because we're not going to be talking about most of it. Just the fact that he covered a broad range of concepts that were innovative and it left a lasting legacy on mostly all of history in different forms. But the the important aspect that we're going to talk about today is the Aristotelian uh, view of the role of education in a person's Ah. life. Is relevant mm-hmm. for a lyceum. So Aristotle believed that there was no such thing as learning for the sake of learning, but instead that it is an ultimately practical end towards happiness. So oh. he says in one of his treatises on education, every art and every investigation, every occupation and pursuit is believed to aim at some good. If then there is any end in the sphere of practice which we desire for its own sake alone, it is clear that it will be the good, the best thing. Surely we may say that a knowledge of this will have a decisive influence on our life. I mean, I would say... Learning for learning's sake does imply that you're doing it for happiness. Right. Well, that's the point that he was making. He was like, it isn't for like that. We think that today, Emily, because of Aristotle. Wow. That's crazy that you would say that. (laughs) Like back then, that's not how people thought. And we now think that because of this guy. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Man, ancient Greece be crazy. They be crazy, man. Because it's they like just be rolling up naked. Some, <laughs> yeah, it's like first of all they be rolling up naked. <laughs> Second of all, it's like sometimes they said things that are just like that's crazy. That's crazy that you would say that. What are you even talking about right now? Yeah. And then other times they're like, when we walk, we put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, this seems like a very basic thought. We we didn't know this, and we had been around as a humanity for how long before they said this? Oh, God. Now I'm not so sure that we're really going to make it much longer. Uh, yes, he, uh, th- this is like the big thing that we're going to talk about here. And one of the ways that Aristotle's legacy has borne out throughout history is with the American Lyceum movement of the 19th century. Have you ever heard of this movement, Emily? I have not of the 19th century. Th- so that would put it in post-Civil War. It takes place uh, throughout the entirety of the 19th century. Oh, wow. So Just pretty all... much from the beginning straight to the 1900s, early 1900s. Interesting. I had never heard of this before, but it's actually it, it's, a, it's a pretty big thing. So inspired by Aristotle's lecturing practice, organizations called lyceums began to pop up throughout the U.S. and were dedicated to the advancement of adult education, as was Aristotle's doing. These organizations erected halls, also called lyceums, and they hosted educational lectures covering scientific techniques, religion, politics, and a range of of practical subjects. Think of it as the antebellum era equivalent to TED Talks, right? (laughs) Right. So like like those, those sorts of exhibitions where like Tesla would come and say like, hey, look, I made these coils. 
Like that's the sort of thing? Yes. Yeah. Honestly, kind of like that. Yeah. But it was surrounded by this organization that kind of coordinated getting speakers to come and lecture that they think would better society, you know? So like this, this Lyceum organization would hire people to come and talk to the public. Gotcha. Oh, that's cool. You know? Yeah. Like a benevolent society uh, real quickly emily what do you think an antebellum era ted talk would would have been like <laughs> that's a good question because <laughs> i feel like that one would also be like just leveling something that we view as like basic thought <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> did you know you could get ran over by the horse <laughs> <laughs> someday we won't even need the horse the carriage will drive itself oh. and then everybody's like no ridiculous <laughs> Witchcraft. <laughs> Burn him. Yeah, that's that's really probably how all antebellum TED Talks would TED end. TED Talks with, would just end with burn with him. death. Yeah. <laughs> so a man named Josiah Holbrook is seen as the progenitor of this movement. He founded the first Lyceum in 1826, which he called the Milbury Lyceum Number no. 1 branch of the American Lyceum. <laughs> and it's <laughs> a crazy name. Creative. And it's really audacious of him to start numbering with one like he knows there's going to be a sequel, you know. (laughs) As Lyceums opened up nationwide, they banded together to form the American Lyceum Association, which was the first national education association in the United States. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Holbrook described a Lyceum as a voluntary association of individuals disposed to improve each other in useful knowledge. So as with Aristotle, there was an emphasis on promoting, as Holbrook puts it, a self-driven general diffusion of knowledge for raising the moral and intellectual taste of our countrymen. Sure. A a noble cause. A noble cause. And they they needed it because they were burning every... TED Talk speaker. At the a, yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to teach them some etiquette, you know? <laughs> so, Emily, the Lyceum system naturally attracted adherents of the philosophy of transcendentalism. Yeah. Have you ever heard of this philosophy? You have. Well, I've heard of it in relation to literature. Uh, what? Tell me. Either Thoreau or Emerson or both were transcendentalists and i think the whole shtick was just like we need to we need to get away from all the pressures of society we got to be out in nature and and just and just live and and love <laughs> yeah i, I mean think. yeah Yes, Emily, you are right on all of those parts. Thoreau and Emerson were both transcendentalists. They were both prominent speakers on the Lyceum circuit. Oh. Transcendentalism was like a big part of the Lyceum system and like a a big influence on this culture of kind of teaching, you know, learning to teach yourself to better society. Yeah. Another big part of transcendentalism was that they believe that people are inherently good and that they're at their best when they're self-reliant and independent. Mm. I I, I started looking into the phrase, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps to see (laughs) if like that originated. And I I think it does have some sort of origination with the transcendentalist movement and Horace Greeley and the Republican Party, which we're not going to get into today, but it's all kind of like there, you know? 
It's fun because like transcendentalism was also like a big movement in the literary world. And like, I forget a lot of times that like movements in literature were just like movements of the time and they extended beyond that field. Like it seeped into like art and philosophy and all that. That's super cool. Yeah, it's interesting to see like the lengths of those boundaries, you know? Yeah. So uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson himself made a living traveling and giving over 1,500 Lyceum lectures during his life. Wow. His essay, Self-Reliance, is one where he makes the transcendentalist case for trusting in oneself and not conforming to others. And it gave us this just absolutely incredible quote. I mean, he was known for his quotes, but this is just, it takes the cake. Get ready. (laughs) A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, <gasps> adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. Did that rhyme? I think it's a slant rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not a rhyming, like, it's not verse, it's prose, but I think it rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, so true. Yeah, so true. I mean, just <laughs> snaps all around. Snaps all around. <laughs> For Emerson. <laughs> Emily, even Abraham Lincoln, whose Gettysburg Address has been ascribed transcendentalist qualities, gave an early speech at his local Lyceum Hall in Springfield, Illinois. Wow. So, yeah, Yeah. this was like a big thing in the the 1800s. All the heavy hitters were there. All the heavy hitters were there. They showed up. (laughs) They rolled up naked. Showed out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In the true Greek style. Yeah, in the true Greek style. (laughs) Theodore Parker was a transcendentalist reformer and abolitionist. Uh, He was also a Unitarian minister. Unitarianism was also a big, it was kind of synonymous with transcendentalism at at the time. Uh, There was a lot of crossover there. But he inspired speeches by Lincoln and eventually would inspire speeches by Martin Luther King Jr. And he said of the Lyceum system in 1857, the world has nothing like it. In it are combined the best things of the church, i.e. the preaching, and of the college, i.e. the informing thought, with some of the fun of the theater. Besides, <laughs> it gives the rural districts a chance to see the men they read about, to see the lions, for the lecturer is also <laughs> a show to the eyes. Yeah, I, I feel you can see the direct line to like the ancient Greek practice because like they were all about like oral learning. Yeah, yes, um, yeah. So it is truly like bringing that, you know, the the ancient Greek lecture to uh-huh. a more modern setting. Yeah. And one of the things that Aristotle talked a lot about, too, on education is that for him, education wasn't just learning. It was the activity. Like, you couldn't just read about it or hear about it and learn. He felt that the actual learning part came from the doing part. And so kind of having that oration and then like teaching people to go out and do it was a big part of the Lyceum movement as well. I agree. I agree. (laughs) The Lyceum tradition continued on through the late 19th century with speakers like Mark Twain, P.T. Barnum, and Susan B. (gasps) Anthony. Yeah, Barnum was a part of it. (laughs) I was going to say, one of those. It's not like the others. <laughs> There's a whole huckster part of it. And part of the reason why the Lyceum tradition waned is because it started to just get overrun with vaudeville acts. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, once PT gets in there, it's yeah, all over. <laughs> yeah. But it really peaked like during the Civil War period and then start, sort of fell off after then. Uh, but one of the things that stuck with us was the connection between uh, the term Lyceum and halls of learning. Yeah. It uh, stayed with the English language forever. 
And does it still, did it look like it still gets decent usage today? Yeah, it definitely still gets used today, honestly, in both senses of of halls of, of uh, learning and also learning organizations. Mm-hmm. But again, there's like another sense that's used in Europe for just secondary schools. That's yeah. probably more, more prevalent today. But yeah, it's used in all those senses. Wow. So Emily, this brings me to the point of the episode. Can you use Lyceum in a sentence? Oh. <sighs> I, it would be my honor. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a good example that's not just like a school. Okay. Lyceum in a sentence. You could say that <laughs> with the discussions that we have every week and the community of guests that we're accruing, Butter No Parsnips is a lyceum of sorts. Emily, best <laughs> sentence, best BNP sentence, hands down. <laughs> So good. You got to love a marketing one, you know? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. A natural marketing one. (laughs) I mean, it felt very relevant. (laughs) (laughs) Great job. Any other thoughts on Lyceum before we move on? I mean, it's a great word. I I did look up what the Alabaster Lyceum is from Critical Role. It is just like a a school, a a place of study um, on the continent. It's a good word. And it's a good D&D word. Yeah, it's like it just sounds like obscure enough to be a fun word. So I'm going to throw that in my D&D campaign. I know I say that about every other episode that we (laughs) do. but I'm constantly mining. D&D, wait for that pack to come out. (laughs) Wow, that pack? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've got like a, they've got like, yeah, they do. Yeah. Expansion pack. Yeah, yeah, DLC. (laughs) DLC. (laughs) Okay, Emily, are you ready for a game? I'm so ready for a game, Kyle. You don't have to get naked for this one. Thank God. (laughs) But next episode's game, I expect it. (laughs) Emily, your game today is called... Can Emily see him? <sighs> yeah, boy, I uh, I can see that, but barely. <laughs> yeah, it's a stretch. <laughs> and so is this game. So Emily, eum e u m is yeah. a Latin ending, right? It comes from the Greek ending aeon, which formed place nouns from other words. Thus, yeah. Lyceum is the place of Lysias, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to describe what some of these eum words are named after, and you're going to have to see them. <laughs> <laughs> Give you the eum word? Yes, exactly. Love it. Okay. This eum word is named for the inspirational goddesses of literature, science, and the arts. Athenium? Mm, no, that's the only EM word that we're not going to talk about today. <laughs> Why would you do this to me? <laughs> uh, uh, what did you say? Goddesses of... The inspirational, hint, hint, goddesses of literature, science, and the arts. Uh, the the and, and the arts. And And they sang in a gospel choir in the Disney film Hercules. Oh, uh, uh, museum. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) Kyle, you seem to have predicated this episode on a lot of knowledge of Hercules. I've seen it once, maybe a decade ago. Watch it. Emily, when it comes to Broadway, you and I are going to have front row seats. I can't wait. I love this movie. It's one of my faves. 
Okay. So yes, museum, Emily, it comes from the Greek word museon, from the Greek word musa, meaning muse. And it originally meant a shrine of the muses. When it transferred over into Latin, Latin used it figuratively for collections of scientific curiosities or artistic curiosities. And that slowly morphed into what we now call museums today. Nice. Your next one. Ready? I'm ready. I'm going to get this one faster than the last one. (laughs) I think you can. Your clue is possibly named for the giant bronze statue of Nero located nearby. Colosseum? Colosseum, Emily. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes from the Greek word kolosseios, which comes from the word kolossos, which means giant statue. It just means giant statue? It's uh, just a word that means giant statue. So funny. I thought Colossus was like a dude. So the Colossus of Rhodes is the giant statue of Rhodes. Oh. The Colossus wasn't his name. I don't know what his name was. I thought Colossus was his name and Rhodes is where he was at. Nope, nope, nope. Wow. Got to rethink. Got to re- rewire my whole brain. But the Colosseum was originally just called Amphitheatrum. Or the amphitheater. amphitheater. Yeah. yeah. But when the Colossus of Nero was relocated to a spot outside of the amphitheater, it's possible that this name Colosseum just caught on because people were like, oh, yeah, that building with the Colossus. <laughs> gotcha. So Colossus of Rhodes is not the one that's that. That's somewhere else. No. Yes. That's in Rhodes, I guess. Okay. You got one more, Emily. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yeah. I'm so ready. Okay. This last one you might or might not get. Okay. Based on the context clues. Nope. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna manifest it right now. I'm gonna get okay, it. Okay, good. Yeah. So this last one is named for a satrap or a governor of the Persian Empire whose tomb was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Oh. The tomb part is the important part. Yeah. It's like a famous tomb, right? It it is. But you won't get it from the name. I won't get it from the name? You won't know his name, but you'll know the tomb. I'll know the tomb. Mm Mm-hmm. Think of other words for tomb, Emily. Oh, other words for tomb. Perhaps an above-ground tomb. Oh, just mausoleum. Mausoleum. You got it, Emily. Three for three. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the first one counts. <laughs> it counts. It counts. So, mausoleum comes from the Greek word mausoleon, which comes from the word mausolos or mausolus, who was a governor in the Persian Empire and had a tomb built for him at Halicarnassus, which is called the Mausoleum at Halicarnassus. Gotcha. So it was originally Mausoleum referred to a specific one, and then it just widened out to mean any above-ground tomb. Yeah, as in a place dedicated to Mausolus. And because it was his tomb, and it was so famous, that people just started calling the above-ground tombs mausoleums, yeah. Wow, that's fun. His mausoleum was destroyed by earthquakes somewhere between the 12th and 15th centuries AD. But a very interesting point here, Emily, is that at one point, Mausolus reigned over Lycia, 
<gasps> which was the wolf country that Leto, Apollo's mother, arrived to in she-wolf form <laughs> and renamed to Lycia to honor the wolves that befriended her. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I brought it all around, baby. <laughs> hey, bring it on home, Kyle. What yeah. a professional. I'm a f- P-Fair fresh. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys, this was a great episode. But Kyle, you should remember that you can mm-hmm. find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, you, Kyle, should consider giving us a five-star mm-hmm. rating or review wherever you heard us. And if I really like today's episode, I should consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips, where if I donated just $5 or more, I could earn myself a shout-out either on social media or here on the podcast. Yeah, so for all of you who do do that already, thanks to you guys, you help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle Imperator. And I've been Emily Moyers. And this has been Butter No Parsnips. Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash buttermoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.